You're listening to SuperPod Recession Proof Your MSP, presented by SuperOps.ai, where we ask experts, analysts, and business owners what MSPs need to do now to recession proof their MSP and keep their foot on the growth pedal. Hello, everyone. I'm Radhika Nair, SuperOps.ai's in house storyteller and host of SuperPod Recession Proof Your MSP. Today, we have the cybersecurity shared power on the show. Jennifer Bleem is a wife, mother of three boys, and a mentor for MSPs who want to build the company of their dreams. She's the owner of MSP Sales Revolution and has helped grow several multi-million dollar companies and divisions in under two years each. That's really impressive, Jennifer. And to date, Jennifer has coached nearly 2,000 MSPs on effective sales and marketing to small and medium-sized businesses. She's going to talk to us about why having just a cybersecurity package is not enough and how MSPs can leverage cybersecurity in a slow economy. And considering she's the sales expert, we are also going to talk a bit about her tried and tested sales methods. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for being a part of this show. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. This is going to be a great conversation. I hope so, too. I wanted to start off the conversation with you know, maybe a little bit of your view on what the economy is like right now for MSPs and, you know, the industry wisdom, which is why we, you know, the entire premise of this show itself, um, a lot of MSPs, there is this belief that MSP industry itself is recession proof. So is that something that you're seeing? What's your take from, you know, considering you talk to hundreds of MSPs? So I I love the question. No, nobody asks me that typically. So I like it out of the box to start with. So I do believe that we are in the midst of a recession. Some people are a little reluctant to say that, but I think we're about six months in and I think we've got a good two years to go. Uh, but the the good thing is, if there's a good thing, is that in the last recession and in the one before that, most managed service providers and IT support providers did well. Um, Some were at least flat in terms of year-over-year growth, but many people really leaned into that and excelled. And I suspect some of that comes from slightly larger companies downsizing, reducing their staff. And so it provides a, a bit of a an open door for MSPs that, that isn't traditionally there. And so while I do think that we're in a recession and I do think there will be a loss of clientele, there is still a an opportunity that maybe when you did your SWOT analysis a year ago wasn't there. And whether that's full-on managed services or just doing managed security or even co-managed, I think it presents a great great opportunity economically for this whole industry. Right. And that, that's something that I keep hearing from the people I speak to as well, that there are opportunities and it's about, you know, finding the right opportunities for you, right? What works for you and doubling down upon that. And and one of the earlier uh, previous conversations that I had with um, Andrew, who's an MSP from uh, the UK, he was mentioning about how having a cybersecurity package, a separate standalone cybersecurity package is absolutely necessary for MSPs. Now, my question to you, and considering you are the expert here, um, I want you to understand, you know, okay, now MSPs have a cybersecurity package. Then what? What next? What do they do with it? That's what I want yes. to, you know, pose that question to you. 
Yeah, and I I agree. I think the very first step, I guess technically the pre-step is deciding, yes, we are going to be serious about cybersecurity. Once that decision is made, you need a package, you need a, a thing that you're going to sell. But then from there, you have to be able to sell it. And so when you're creating that package, hopefully uh, you'll create it in a profitable manner. So yes, you need you need to have that package and hopefully you'll price it in such a way that it's profitable. And that's actually harder to do in the UK than it is in the States, but it is possible. But once you have that package and you have it priced so that you're getting solid margins, you have to be able to sell it. Otherwise, it's, it's like you've just created this fantastic thing that's going to revolutionize your community and it's going to change the way your your company does business, perhaps even drive more revenue to the bottom line, highly profitable. But if you can't sell it, then all of that effort was in vain. And so it's you can't overlook the importance of being able to sell that solution. And selling cybersecurity is different from selling managed services. And so don't overlook the, the sales piece of the equation. Right. And, you know, when you mentioned that, right, where selling cybersecurity is different from managed services. And that's, that's, that's the key part, right? A lot of MSPs understand the IT support part of it. And what they also do is they include, say, an antivirus within that. And then that's uh, a lot of clients too. And this is what we were discussing in one of the previous episodes that, you know, a lot of clients think that, okay, antivirus is there, my cybersecurity is done, which is not the case, right? So when they do have that conversation with customers, with prospects, how can they actually pitch cybersecurity as a separate package? What what are the things that you have seen is successful or has been successful for MSPs in the past? Yes. I, so I want to build on what you just said. It's it's different for the MSP because they're used to selling managed services and now they're being asked to also sell managed security. So it's different from the seller to the buyer, but from the buyer's perspective, from that prospect's perspective, they're used to paying one flat dollar figure and in their mind, all the things are included. Well, that's not the case anymore. Like maybe all of the maintenance items are included, all of the networking and the architecture and things like that, but cybersecurity isn't included. So you have to have that conversation. If you're an MSP listening, make sure that you're talking to your clients and your prospects. Talking to your clients is a good practice session for when you go out and you start talking to your prospects and explain why what you were doing before was for a functionality standpoint. We had antivirus in place and we had solid firewalls in place so that your business could function, so that you could get on the internet, so that you could do your job day to day so that you didn't get a virus that would take your computer down for hours or days. Cybersecurity is completely different. It's not from a functional standpoint. It's from a cyber resilience standpoint or reducing your risk. And those are those are different. They're, they're very, very different. Um, it's also hard for the prospect to wrap their mind around resilience and reducing their risk because I'm going to help you stay up and running so that you can create your widget or bill your clients uh, for your time or you know maybe you're telling an accounting firm so that you can submit your taxes on time. That's reasonably easy for someone to wrap their head around to understand that concept. Right. But to say I'm going to keep this 
evil thing from happening to you. It's it's this future uncertainty, and it's hard to hard for someone to understand who's never been in that position. And so that's where knowing how to sell cybersecurity is so important. Right. And I also wanted to understand, you know, doubling down upon that, right? I just wanted to double click on that. Um, when, when you're talking about um, cybersecurity sales in itself, right? And that's something that, again, in one of the previous episodes we had touched upon about how a lot of customers don't really want to talk tech, right? They don't understand it. Um, many of them are not in technical areas at all. And their entire uh, idea is, okay, I have an MSP. I don't have to worry about it. I don't want to talk about it. And now you're adding this entire cybersecurity equation to that, right? It's adding on to the complexity for them as well. So, so when you're doing this sales conversation with uh, prospects, when you are saying that, you know, functionality versus risk mitigation, if you could give some uh, either practical guidelines or anecdotes about, you know, what has worked, that might help the MSPs listening to understand, you know, okay, this is what I can try, something of that yes. sort. Yes. Yeah. I love this. Let's take it out of the theory and bring it down into into more of a real life example. So I've got a book called Simplified Cybersecurity Sales for MSPs. Um, And the subtitle is The Secret Formula for Closing Cybersecurity Deals Without Feeling Slimy. Because many MSPs are very uncomfortable with the concept of sales. They're a little uncomfortable articulating why someone needs uh, cybersecurity in the first place. Even if they believe that it's true, they're just uncomfortable in the sales conversation. And so one of the concepts that I talk about in my book, it's it's a beautiful Venn diagram. If you buy the book, it's on Amazon. It's going to be on Audible soon. Um, But there is a Venn diagram on page 63 where it talks about the two different facets or the two arguments that you need to prove inside of any conversation in order to make a sale. And this is very fundamental to sales that people make decisions logically, but they they justify them emotionally. And so you have to have both the logical side of why why logically do you need to invest in cybersecurity? Um, and the sub subset to that is why logically do I need to invest in cybersecurity when I've never done it before? Well, then there also has to be an emotional component so that the emotion um, can can back up that decision. So you need both pieces. And it's the emotional side that's actually easier to prove. Um, The emotional side of a cybersecurity incident, very easy conversation to have. So I'm going to talk about that second, because you have to prove that logical need for cybersecurity first before you start talking about the emotion or else your prospect is going to feel like, uh, oh, you're just trying to sell me something that I don't need. You're just trying to stir up the emotions. I don't really trust you. And it goes back to the whole no like and trust. And so the the logical side of cybersecurity is how likely are you to have a cybersecurity incident? And that's the question you want to ask, not necessarily in those words, but a really great way to just logically have this conversation is to say, you know, right now, Mr. Prospect, Mrs. Prospect, you have 45 employees. Is it fair to say that today with 45 employees, as compared to when you were in startup mode with one employee, that you are 45 times more likely to have a person make a mistake and click a link or be fooled by a phishing email. So, and they will say, probably they will say yes. 
Mm-hmm. And because they're now also 45 times the number of software tools and 45 times yeah. the number of um, phones ringing and interruptions and for maybe not 45 times the complexity, but probably at least three times the complexity. And so, so logically, yes, I suppose with 45 employees, I am 45 times more likely to have a cybersecurity incident. Great. Mm. That is one way to prove likelihood of an incident. There's other ways you can talk statistics. You can talk about what have you done in the last three years to make yourself more resilient from cybersecurity. So you want to prove that argument. That's that first argument that you want to prove. I'm not saying you can do it with one question, but you want to have several things inside of your arsenal. How am I going to prove to this prospect or this room of prospects, if you're presenting to a board of directors or to an executive team, It is likely that if you do nothing, something will happen to your company. So that's kind of the first half of the Venn diagram. The second half is easier to prove, which is the impact on the business and the impact on the person who you're you're speaking to. So the impact, these are impact questions. Okay, so tell me if you were down for two weeks and you couldn't access your documents, you couldn't access any of your files, you couldn't pay your bills, you couldn't, um, you had to find $20,000 for ransom, like all of these different things. How would that impact your role? How would it impact your relationship with your, your team? How would it impact your relationship with your clients? How would it impact your pipeline? How would that impact your chance of winning new contracts? How would it impact your ability to create your widget or bill your time or like all of these things, getting home on time, you know, to, to spend time with your children, tuck them in at night. All of those things are much easier to prove. It's that likelihood that, that is a little more difficult to prove. So the two arguments are likelihood that a cybersecurity incident could happen and then impact um, or implications on you and the organization and the role. And when you can prove both of those arguments, that's where the the two circles come together and you've Mm. got this beautiful sweet spot in the middle. And now it becomes very, very easy for the, the buyer to make a decision because they now know something's likely to happen. And if that happened, the impact on me and my company and my team is is not okay. So now I'm willing to entertain how do I keep this from happening or how do I at least reduce the risk of this happening to my company? Right. Brilliant. And and you're saying if you're paint a picture, right, have that conversation, show the client what they could or show the prospect what they could be facing. Correct. Absolutely. I also wanted to, you know, extrapolate this a little bit and move a little bit away from uh, cybersecurity in uh, particular. And I wanted to ask you about sales in general, right? And that's something like you mentioned just now. A lot of MSPs do struggle with having those conversations, right? Having those sales conversations. And I wanted to understand that from you, you know, in your experience and in when you're working with uh, a lot of MSPs, right? What is that one mistake or the most common mistake that you have seen MSPs make when it comes to sales in general or you know in when when they're looking at building that sales framework or a predictable sales pipeline what is that most common mistake that you have seen them make so the most common mistake i see is that they get to the end of their sales call and they they don't ask for the sale 
Uh, they, mm. they have shared all of the information. They have explained. They've even gotten agreement. Uh, ideally, they've gotten agreement from the prospect. Yes, this is something that I need. Yes, where I am now is not sufficient. I'm not okay with the risks that you've laid out. And they're they're right they're right on the edge of a sale, and they just they just kind of smile and nod and don't they don't assume the sale they don't ask for the sale they don't set a firm next step they don't they don't say so are you ready to get started they don't assume okay so based on everything we've talked about today it sounds like you're ready to get started they don't even like do a takeaway close where I hope it's okay, but I can't get you onboarded for about three weeks. Does that work with your timeline? Nothing. Like there is no asking for the sale. It's almost an assumption that the prospect is going to talk to two or three more MSPs. And so they don't, mm. they don't intend to make the sales sitting right there. They just intend to have a great conversation and add tremendous value and be good listeners and maybe even perform a great discovery. But if you do all of those things and you walk out the door without asking for the sale, I guarantee in 99% of the cases, you're not going to make a sale. Like the, the buyer never, I've never heard a story of a buyer chasing down the MSP in the parking lot, waving a check saying, I'm ready to pay you now. You just needed to ask me the, the sales question. Like that closing question is crucial. And I think there's just such a stigma around closing the sale. And uh, so I, I don't want to be a hard sell closer. I don't, nobody mm -hmm. likes to be, you know, nobody likes to be sold. Everybody just likes to buy. And so if I don't want to be a hard sell closer, then I'm just going to be a soft sell. And I'm just going to sit in the in my chair and wait for the, the buyer to say, that sounds great, Jennifer. How do we get started? And that mm. is so rarely the case. And so I, I really try to shift the concept of closing the sale with my clients and I help them understand that it's not about closing the sale, it's about opening a relationship. It's about starting the relationship and really closing the sale. There's there's a lot of different ways that people will illustrate it, but one of, one of the ones that I do chuckle at now is Sandler sales, it like presents it as if it's this, this uh, piece of the submarine, like it's a room on the submarine that when we, we get to that room, okay, the rest of the sales process almost doesn't matter. We just have to follow these specific, you know, techniques and tactics and closing questions. And now that's where we are. We're at the closing step. And I disagree with that. Closing should be happening all the way through the sales process. Micro commitments and, you know, are you okay with that? Would that be a problem? If we could fix that for you, would you want us to do that? If if we could mitigate that risk, would you be willing to spend a little bit more than you're spending today? Like closing is all through the sales process. It's not like you get to this magic compartment of the submarine and you, now we're going to close the sale. Okay, woo that's not the way it works. That's not the way we buy. There isn't like a this magic moment where you're like, Whoop, we're now ready to, to close the sale. Let me pull out the agreement. And so I would encourage your listeners to shift their perspective on how they look at closing. Yes, we need to do it. Yes, we need to ask that closing question, please. <laughs> uh, please do ask the question, push the sale along. That's your job as a salesperson. 
but don't be afraid of the sale. Don't be afraid of closing the sale. Just make sure that you're looking at it from the right perspective. And that right perspective is always from the perspective of the prospect. It's not about your perspective at all. Right. And and it, I think it goes back to what you mentioned about that sliminess or the fear of being slimy, right? That it's associated, like the stigma that you mentioned as well. The sales part of it, that closing part of it is associated with this, oh, I'm asking for money or I'm asking, making them, uh, you know, choose me. So I think that that it's it's about that mindset change as well. And like you mentioned about, you know, putting that those breadcrumbs along the way, right? It's not uh, at one shot, you don't say that you are leading up to that final moment when they do need to sign off on that check, but building up to that. That's, that's a very that's a very interesting perspective and i also wanted to you know uh, leading on from that you know uh, one of the other things uh, uh, when it comes to a successful business and be it an msp business or any other business it's about predictability right and that's the same within the sales um you know the sales process as well how can an msp and i'm and i'm sure that you know depending on the size of the msp the kind of msp the kind of business the kind of organization that, that they have with all of these could will have an impact but in your experience and in and what you have seen what is the way or what is that secret sauce if i could use that term to building that predictable sales engine or building that predictability into that sales framework I think the biggest challenge that I hear about having a predictable sales engine, whether whether that the goal is to have one new client a month or one new client a quarter, or three new clients a month, like in my mind, it's almost a a dripping faucet. And so when I picture that that dripping faucet, that maybe it's at night and it's driving you crazy because it, it just consistently drips. The reason it is consistently dripping, it goes back to the sales funnel analogy, is that it's consistently dripping. We're consistently closing deals because we know our numbers. We know how many leads we need to get into the, really, we, we know how many people we need in our list so that when we make buying offers or sales offers or marketing offers, that we get a certain number of those every month so that we can have a certain number of conversations, which turn into proposals, which turn into sales. And so you, you backwards um, do the math, it goes back to a little bit to lead flow, but a lot to the size of your list. And so lead mm-hmm. flow is important, but lead flow is a, a sign of how healthy your list is. And so, so many MSPs are saying, you know, I've got a lead flow problem. And I, I get on the phone and I say, well, tell me about your list. And they're like, I have, mm-hmm. I have a list of 200 or I have a list of four or 500, that's that's the norm. Every once in a while, I will talk to an MSP that has a list of several thousand, mm. but it's impossible to have a list of 200 and to get, let's say, 10 leads per month that become five proposals that become one sale. I'm not saying those are the ideal numbers, but it, it just doesn't work because your list is too small and trying to sell to a cold list is it's almost impossible and it's getting harder by the day for a lot of things that we don't have time to talk about today mm-hmm. but it's it's a a lead flow problem yes but that's really the the lagging indicator is a lead flow problem the leading indicator is the size of your list and so the way that you can consistently get more sales opportunities is to put time and effort into growing your list, put time and effort into nurturing your list, making them sales offers so that you do get that consistent dripping faucet, if you will. 
Great. And, you know, I, I can see that you are really passionate about this point, right? I'm sure you've heard this many times. I have a lead flow issue. And then you go back to that list and see that, you know, it's about 200 strong. And then you're like, how can this be a lead flow problem, right? I can, right. I can almost imagine you having this conversation. Yes. I, and I, I have it multiple times per week. <laughs> and it's like, well, the good news is you don't really have a lead flow issue. The bad news is you have another issue, but it's it's not really good news and bad news. It, like, that's what business is. Business is mm. about doing doing a good job diagnosing the problem. What is the problem? What's today's challenge? And then figuring out how to solve today's challenge. And guess what? As soon as you solve today's challenge, there will be another challenge waiting for you. That That is business. Like we will never grow our business to the point where we have no challenges. In fact, I think the more we grow our business, the bigger the challenges get. But hopefully we've, we've surrounded ourselves with good people uh, who can help us solve those challenges. But it's never about let's solve every challenge on the list so that life is easy. It's let's solve the challenge on the list so that we rise to a greater level of excellence so that we're ready for the next bigger challenge. We are prepared for the next, yes. And yes. I also wanted to talk about another point that, you know, that uh, you are also passionate about. You know, a lot of MSPs, and this is something that I have also been hearing quite a bit from the MSPs that I speak with. Um, a lot of them reach a certain point, right? And that could be, say, uh, 500,000 uh, in revenue, or it could be a million, and then they reach a glass ceiling, right? They can't break through. And I wanted to understand from you, what are the most common reasons that you see for MSPs reaching that stage, where, you know, reaching that point where they can't break through to that next level? What is it that you see most commonly? So it's it's two things. Number one, it is that the the methodologies, the tactics, the frameworks, the SOPs, you know, the the guts of the business, the things that got you here will not get you there. And so you will need new systems. You will need new ways of doing things to hit that next level of revenue. The second reason, though, I think is really the reason that m- many companies in our in our area are held back and it is this concept of hiring ahead it's mm-hmm. this the it's the concept of capacity and so if you look at uh, most of your local banks which there are still local banks that actually have tellers and you can walk inside when a bank builds its organization and its physical building they build typically 7 to 10 teller windows even though right now they maybe only have enough clientele to fill two or three of those windows but they have built capacity into their business and i suspect that at the point that they are consistently running up and filling that eighth or ninth or 10th teller window, that they're aware, wait a second, we're almost at capacity. Similarly, if you ever study uh, churches, if you start to study trends in churches, when church pews are roughly 75% full, the church stops growing because they don't have capacity. People like mm. a pew to themselves. They don't mm. want to, that is oddly enough that, you know, in a church, you would think everybody wants to be around people. Nope. They like their, their elbow room. They, they want a yeah. little bit of growth. The family Stand needs up. to sit in yes. the same pew. Yeah. Mm. Yes. They all want to sit in the same pew and they don't want people too close to them, but not too far away. Right. So churches hit like this 75, maybe 80% capacity, and then they plateau. And it's because there isn't any room. And with a lot of technology service providers, that's what it is. You don't have the capacity to grow, which means you have to hire a little bit ahead 
of where your revenue suggests that you should, you hire a little bit ahead, you grit your teeth, and then you work like crazy to be able to fill up that capacity. When you don't do that, you get awfully comfortable. Mm. Your techs are 80% utilized, everybody, it's status quo, and you're not growing because you haven't put staffing in place to force yourself to grow. And so that is really, it's an uncomfortable truth because so many people say, you know, I want to get to the million dollar mark. They're at 750, they're at 800, but they're comfortable. Like they're getting their paycheck every week. They're paying their bills with little or no problem. They lose a client, they gain a client. They lose a client, they gain a client because they know what this looks like and it's comfortable to add an extra staff member or to hire an outsourced marketing or an outsourced sales or an outsourced, you know, level three help desk person is uncomfortable and it feels counterintuitive. Why would I hire another staff member, another technical staff member when I don't have the revenue to support it? And it's because you will create the revenue to support it once you have to. <laughs> if you don't have to, we usually don't. Right, right. I also wanted to, you know, um, that building for capacity, right? Building that buffer into your uh, system and ensuring that, you know, you're a little you're pushing yourself that that's what it is right not yes. not just being in that comfort zone that that's that's a really interesting point and i also wanted to understand you know um, when you look at successful msps right uh, those who and and you keep uh, speaking to them what are what is that common point that you see do you see something that is this is something that i am also really curious to understand a, a lot of people say that you know there are a lot of common elements between successful business people, right? I wanted to understand about MSPs as well. Do you see, you know, what's that common element that you see when you uh, talk to successful MSPs? Yes. So I think the biggest is that they they look back on the past and they see things that didn't go as well as they had hoped and they simply try again. You know, whether mm. it was we brought in a marketing company and that company, we worked with them for a year and they couldn't get us the number of leads that they promised. They don't just give up and say, well, I guess we're doomed to be at $2 million for the rest of our lives. They go, well, that really stinks. Um, let's do it post-mortem. Why did it not work? What did they tell us in the sales process? Were there any red flags that, that looking back, perhaps we should have picked up on? Let's pick up on it next time. And so they don't say, wow, that didn't work. I give up. They said, well, that didn't work. Let's try something else. That didn't work. Let's try something else. That didn't work. Let's try again. And one of my favorite clients uh, hired me for a fairly sizable engagement. And he said, oh, well, you know, I've lost four times this amount last year. What's the worst that can happen? And then he's like, no offense. And I'm like, no, I like I don't take offense to that. Of course, he's going to be skeptical. He's never worked with me before. He's been burnt by other companies. But the, the key similarity from client to client to client is that that tenacity and that resilience to say, Yes, either I made a mistake or I got burnt or it did it worked poorly or it didn't work quite as well as I had hoped. So what's next? Mm. And and that I I admire that because I don't know of many successful businesses that just have success after success after success. Mm. Like it's it's the failures that we all learn from. It, it, I one of my mentors says you either win or you learn. 
<laughs> and we all wish it was we win and then we win again and then we like we want to stack those wins but in between stacking those wins are a lot of losses and you've got to be willing to roll with that learn from it and then get to that next win as quickly as you can yeah and, and a lot of people see only the wins right outside you see only the wins so the losses or the learnings are for us yes Yes, we yes, don't typically I, talk about those on social media. We don't put those in our newsletter. Let me tell you about the biggest mistake I ever made. Uh, but maybe we should. Maybe we should talk about those learning lessons. Yeah, celebrating the learnings as well, right? Yes. I wanted to bring this back to, you know, our, our topic of recession, you know, and you did mention this in the beginning, right? A lot of companies, a lot of clients, for instance, uh, the prospective clients of MSPs or the industries that MSPs cater to, they are struggling, quite a few of them, right? We do see budgets being cut. We do see belt tightening that's happening. And of course, that's presenting an op opportunity for MSPs because there's more outsourcing happening. But it is still a fact that a lot of MSPs will need to have that conversation with clients, right? I'm sure there are conversations happening where when they're talking to a prospect, the prospect says, I don't have this kind of bu budget or I do need to think about the budget. There might be conversations where they are hearing their prospects saying that, you know, but I am, I don't know uh, what the future is looking like. So I wanted to understand, you know, in this environment, what does the MSP, you know, what should they do differently when they are selling? So what they should do, and I don't know if this is necessarily different than in a, in a great economy, but every MSP needs to decide in, in and of their own organization or decide in their own head what is and is not acceptable. Is it acceptable for a client or a prospect to only engage with you with your low-level cybersecurity? Is it okay for them to engage with you just for managed services and you'll, you'll later on sell them on managed security? Is it okay to sell them managed services and managed security, but perhaps the margin isn't quite as, as much as you would like it to be? And I can't answer any of those questions for you, but my advice is to have those decisions made very logically in your head before you walk into those sales conversations, because you will probably hit more price objections today than you did three years ago certainly mm -hmm. than you did two years ago. And so I want you to know what is and is not acceptable because the the chance if you don't have that figured out already, you're going to walk into the sales call, desperately want the sale, know that you're the right fit for this prospect, and you may make in the spur of the moment decisions that are not in the best interest of your organization or the prospect's organization. So have those conversations internally, whiteboard it out, like wrestle, you know, wrestle in your executive team meetings as needed, get it figured out and, and maybe even document it. Like what is your line in the sand that you are not willing to compromise on and then hold to that. Even if it means losing a sale, you don't want a poor sale. You don't want a sale that is going to be putting your company at risk or that is less profit than you should have. Yeah, yeah, completely. That's words to live by. I think that that drawing, knowing when to draw the line in the sand, right? Knowing that before you get into that conversation itself, that's yes. critical. Thank you so much. It was great having you on the show. I hope to have more such conversations with you soon. Amazing. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.